last week I was in Zimbabwe. I was speaking at a conference for my dear friend Bishop Tudor Bismarck, and the theme of it was the next 10 years. And it is quite interesting that in this festival ideas, we are also attempting a gaze into the future for our country. On the Saturday, that was last Saturday, there was a, a symposium, a discussion uh, that I was part of in Zimbabwe. And uh, we had quite an interesting array of people. I was the only non-Zimbabwean on the panel. The rest were bona fide Zimbabweans. Uh, the, 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 they had the deputy prime minister of the, of the country, the minister of tourism, the minister for ICT. Interestingly, they have a minister for ICT. And, uh, and, a, and a very uh, successful businessman on the panel. And I was there uh, as an outsider. Not entirely as an outsider because I've been going to Zimbabwe for the last 26 or so years annually. And sometimes two or three times a year. I've traveled to almost every part of Zimbabwe. So I'm quite acquainted with uh, their country. But the, the, what they were talking about was very... Uh, audacious because they were talking about creating a half a trillion dollar economy in the next 30 years. Now, half a trillion is 500 billion. Not old Ghana cities, but uh, 500 billion American dollars in the next 30 years. Considering that the current GDP of Zimbabwe is around 9.6 that's probably uh, approximately 10 billion. Uh, for a people who are struggling with a 10 billion economy to just raise their sights, their hopes, their expectations, to think even the amount is bold. And, uh, and the, the conversation that went on around that table was very, very exhilarating because uh, for the first time I had politicians who were talking with a certain passion and a certain intelligence about their own country. Um, it was not propaganda, although there was some political ban banter going on because all the three politicians on the stage were from three different parties. But each one of them seemed to be sold on to the idea that they wanted to create a, this massive economy for their country. Um, considering the daunting challenges facing them, especially when you understand where Zimbabwe has come from. Uh, at the uh, macro level, economically, they have had some major upheavals. Um, politically, they are in limbo at the moment, uh, trying to sort out how the political future would be. Uh, they have had mass uh, movement of people, migration of people from Zimbabwe to South Africa predominantly, but then to the rest of the world. Uh, they've scattered all over. Uh, the AIDS has seriously decimated the, uh, the citizens. I think they have about 21% prevalence of HIV AIDS. And yet, with all of that, they're thinking of a half trillion dollar economy. And when I spoke there, I told them, just for thinking it, they deserve to be congratulated. Because to transform anything, 
there have to be there has to be a certain defiance of reality you can't create the future until you defy reality until you say to yourself what is happening to me will not keep me down and so for a people who are faced with these massive challenges to just think that in 30 years they would create that economy for me was was the most inspiring well how to do it would be another issue but you know for you to go on a journey there are a few things you have to decide on first where you are going second how to get there third what you're using to get there and fourth who's going to drive you there but if you don't think where you are going you'll not even think how to get there so first there has to be a thinking of how to get there so we are thinking in ghana about the year 2022 i've lived a little bit on this planet to know that 10 years is a very 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 short time not long ago the current statement on everybody's lips and the conversation all over the world was an event that transformed our world far away in New York when the twin towers of the World Trade Center were brought down. And the current statement on everybody's lips was 9-11. And most of us will remember 9-11 and uh, Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda and all that it did. And it's 11 years ago. That's how fast time flies. So 10 years is going to happen like a blink of an eye. Whether you plan for it or not, 10 years is going to come. Whether you prepare for it or not, 10 years is going to come. So the year is 2012. And it's August 16, 2012, 2022, August 16. Where are you? What are you doing? Where is your life? What business are you participating in? What kind of income are you bringing in? And where is Ghana? And where are we going? And what have we become? I think that is the challenge facing us. Leadership is very crucial in trying to lead uh, anything, a nation, a business, a family, a church. There has to be leadership. A people's reference point for leadership will determine what they expect from leaders and what they invest into leaders. So for us in Ghana, when we talk about leadership or a leader, what image do we have? I would suggest and I think that in Ghana, our reference for leadership is chieftaincy. Chieftaincy represents our basic definition of leaders. 
And so whenever we seek for a leader, we project the attributes of what we think a chief should be like in that leader. And that informs all the leadership choices we make. And it also informs the attributes we gravitate to as representing a leader, a chief. It's good, it's bad. Because chieftaincy in Ghana has mutated. It's changed. Years ago, probably if you go back a couple of hundred years ago, when people chose a chief who was a leader, they didn't choose a person to come and enjoy a throne or to come and sit in a palanquin or to come and uh, uh, just enjoy life. They chose a leader for one basic reason. They needed a warrior to lead them into battle. They needed somebody who knew how to fight for them so they could win their battles. And it wasn't only in Ghana, but all over the world. If you study any history of any human society, leaders were first and foremost warriors, fighters, people who would go out, defend their people, lead in the battle, sometimes get hurt. A lot of leaders get killed in battle. But the people expected that the one major qualifier of a leader was courage. Because you couldn't live, lead a fight if you were not courageous. That a leader had to be courageous. A leader had to be bold. A leader had to be strategic and a tactician. Because he was going to fight the other tribe or the other group to protect his people. So the disciplines that informed the choice of leadership were courage, strategy, tactics, boldness. Definitely, the leader was supposed to be a, a good organizer. So if you look at the av average Ghanaian society, even the structure of the society of chieftaincy was, is a military structure. The wings of the chiefs were all military wings, the west, the east, the defenders, the, the attackers, and so on. But something happened to that. Several things. First, when we encountered the colonialists, they didn't like the warrior chief because they gave them too many problems. So they gave it a new appetite for a chief, the submissive, docile 
accommodating, collaborating chief. So, over time, the courageous ones were either exiled, defeated, and new chiefs were imposed. But invariably, if you study our culture and our history, there was a mutation of the qualities required in a leader. And it became, instead of courage, it became docility. So, over time, that became what we expect. So, what has happened over time in the Ghanaian society is that our image of a leader has mutated. So, we get a leader who is not able to lead us into war. Obviously, the fights we are fighting are not tribal or ethnic as they used to be. They are major fights to be fought. Uh, poverty is, is stronger than any uh, armed enemy, you know, because poverty attacks on all fronts. And uh, you can't shoot it down, and you can't cut off its head. And it just springs up on you illiteracy, disease. Hunger. But the same attribute of a warrior, leader who leads his people to fight against another tribe should inform our approach to fighting the things that attack us. Because if we don't have that attitude, we will just accommodate our problems. And I don't know about you, but I think I'm beginning to get tired of my problems. I'm beginning to get tired of Ghanaian problems. The fact that we live and don't seem to really be able to deliberately solve our problems. And recently I was talking to some people and I asked, name me one policy in Ghana in the last 10 years which has been deliberately instituted to solve a critical problem we are faced with. Whether it's sanitation or food production or whatever. Just, just name me something that we all agree that if we did this over the next so many years, that problem will be solved. Uh, we can piece up a few thoughts here and there, but I don't think any of us can say that there has been any bold, audacious policy, like what the Zimbabweans were thinking about, half a trillion dollar economy. Yes, we can pick little things, national heritage insurance and, and so and so forth, and nice, nice, And we can applaud people for that and, and say, well, they, they made an effort, school feeding and uh, uh, youth employment. Some, some decent programs, but they are not bold. They are not bold. They don't capture and drive the juices in anybody. They don't make anybody go to bed and, and wake up at 2 a.m. and think, Ghana will make it. 
And I think timidity is becoming the norm in our national approach. We're afraid to think big, to dream big, and to dare to say something ridiculously big. So we have become very tentative, very cautious, very predictable, very easy to achieve our own targets. Because if you set your targets so low, you can achieve them. It's like the story of, I had a preacher preach of a, his, his son who was trying to be a good basketball player. Unfortunately, the son was vertically challenged. And basketball requires some kind of longitudinal uh, advantage. And, uh, but this guy really loved basketball. And he wanted to dunk. And if you don't know about dunking, it's just going up on top of the hoop of the basketball and slamming the ball down through the basketball hoop. But this guy was too short. He couldn't do it. And he tried, he tried, he tried. So one day his father came out from work and he said, Daddy, come and see. Daddy, come and see. I can, I can dunk. The daddy went out and true to form, the guy, his son was dunking. And he began wondering, how, how can my son dunk? took a second look at the basketball hoop and he realized he's brought it down (laughs) to his own dunking level. Now we can bring the hoop to our level and dunk all we want. But that's not really what the basketball game is designed for. Let's keep it where it is and let's fly high dunk. I believe and you know these days it's become very dangerous to have an opinion in Ghana because every opinion has to be tagged one way as NPP or NDC. This is one of the most insane situations we have boxed ourselves in in this country. And so every idea has to be labeled one way or the other. Can't we just label an idea as a Ghanaian idea? And I think we should. Otherwise, sensible and reasonable people would just nurture their hopes privately instead of declaring them publicly. But I think we need in this country for the citizens to demand better for themselves and from the people who seek to lead them. Because we need to do better. Time is flying very fast. And particularly when I talk about Ghana, we are losing out. Not only Ghana, but West Africa is losing out big time. Investment is flying from West Africa to East Africa at a very fast rate. And if we don't really step up our game, 
West Africa will be an abandoned spot on the planet because nobody's going to wait for us to play our little NDC NPP games before we start thinking that the world is bigger than NDC, NPP, or PPP, or NDP. There has to be a P somewhere. <laughs> or an N somewhere. So, where is the future going to be? I have a vision of the future. I'm sure you also have a vision of the future. But it's your personal future. A vision of your private future. Which is great. But we need somebody who is able to say something in which I see my personal future in their big vision. So that you and I can say, although we are working on our personal future, it works out into a bigger future. A future that we can bequeath to our children, to our children's children. And it's not only at the political level, it's also at the entrepreneurial level. We need some big ideas and big movers. And I'm, I'm encouraged by all the young people doing great things, but much as we're doing well, the journey is so far that our efforts are very, very insignificant. On their own, they look great. Comparatively, they are very insignificant. The businesses we are growing in Ghana are too weak. The income we are turning around, too weak. I mean, we can fight all the fight about, uh, you know, one government comes, takes NPP uh, business, give it to NDC, or NDC, give it to NPP, and just share the little breadcrumbs. But why don't we bake big bread? So you don't need to take one person's business from one and give it to the other. Why can't we create something so big that no matter who is in power, all of us have big bread to work with? Why do we have to limit ourselves to breadcrumbs? I believe we deserve what we get. We do. We do deserve what we get. Because if we demand for it, we'll get what we want. If our leaders get to know that they don't excite us any longer, they will think. If we stop playing pettiness with our ideas, I think people will think better. There's a very interesting story in the Bible, very interesting, the New Testament, the book of Acts, about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was quite a radical leader, and he upset everybody uh, with his message of transformation especially the Jewish people, because Christianity, although had come from Judaism, was uh, quite a new form of faith as the Jews saw it. The Jewish society had two predominant ideas, the Sadducees who believed there was no resurrection, that nothing supernatural, and the Pharisees who believed there was a resurrection. 
And Paul went to preach, and uh, he was arrested for preaching in the name of Jesus. So Paul was brought to judgment, and uh, his case was a bad case because he, he was going to have some major sentence uh, brought against him for preaching in the name of Jesus, which was contrary to the rules at that time. So the Bible says that Paul looked around and realized that in the judgment room, there were Sadducees on one side and, and Pharisees on the other side. And so Paul just said, fellow brethren, I'm here and I've been arrested for only one thing because I believe in the resurrection. Now, the moment Paul said that, the Pharisees says, yeah, we believe that. The Sadducees says there is no resurrection. And so Paul just stepped out and the Pharisees and Sadducees fought themselves. They were acting like dogs who have been thrown a bone. I think that's what happens in Ghana. Just let anybody get into trouble. Then he would say, I am so. And all of a sudden, we lose reason. And the party, partisan pettiness comes in. So if somebody steals our money and he says, I am of this party, he's going to have people to defend him. If somebody is arrested for committing a crime and he says, I, am the, I belong to that party, all of a sudden, a whole battalion of defenders come in because we have become zombies who just follow a party call. And this kind of zombie behavior is costing all of us. And all of us, in one way or the other, without thinking, support the bone that is thrown our way. We can't build the future this kind of low-level intelligence approach to life. So, what's the vision? I have an idea where I think we can also be bold and say we will create quite a big economy. I can say half a trillion. Maybe I would say one trillion. Because if Zimbabwe, which has a GDP of saying of 10 billion, saying half a trillion, then Ghana, which has about 39 or so billion, can definitely best the Zimbabweans. But it's one thing saying it. If we say it, then we have to work it. It means that we have to start thinking of annual economic growth for the next 30 years of a minimum of 30% per annum. Some people may say that's not possible because the Chinese haven't gotten it. Who says China is our standard? Can we grow annually at those rates? Yes, we can. I believe we can. Even with almost no effort, we are growing at 14%. No effort. Our country is on autopilot, but we are growing at 14%. So can you imagine if there was something real going on and somebody was inspiring you and you were putting in extra 
And, and everybody was energized and farmers were working and, 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 and there was this enthusiasm and nobody was being persecuted for political affiliation and you didn't know, need to look back to, real, to find out which party was looking at you. And all of us were really giving our best. I can guarantee we can do 40% per annum. We can. We just a little oil which is giving us just about half a billion dollars. What if we were processing gold and going to jewelry and we're processing diamonds and we're processing cocoa and we had a chain of factories, cocoa factories and chocolate factories and all kinds of derivatives, about 200 different derivatives just from cocoa. We can do more than 30% growth. Because so far, we're doing nothing. But somehow we managed to grow. That is the miracle of Ghana. (laughs) I think we can. And I hope that our national conversation would move that level. And really, I don't care who is in power. I just want a big economy. I, I just... I just want a good country for myself, for my children, for my grandchildren, for my church members, for my relatives. And and it doesn't care whether the party's color is pink or, or is purple. Politics must not become the most driving component of our national life. I think so far politics has crowded out intelligence from our national life. And we need to do something about it. So I hope that those of us in this place would uh, at least demand for better. Let's think it, let's work it, and I hope that um, we can compel it in this country. We can compel it. And that's what we have to do. We have to compel it. Because the next 10 years is coming whether you want it or not. And just as 9-11 has just come, And it's 11 years. It will be 2022 next week. And you're going to ask, what did I do in the last 10 years? You were just wearing party (laughs) t-shirts. And supporting one political party. I just pray that God will grant us the wisdom, the courage. To have leaders at every level who are warriors. Warrior leaders. Business leaders who are warriors, religious leaders who are warriors, educational leaders who are warriors, political leaders who are warriors, who don't just sit in a palanquin and receive greetings and appellations, but who lead their people to war and actually win battles. Because in those days, it was only when you were coming from battle, after winning a battle, that you sat in a palanquin, not when you were moving from your palace to a deba ground. But when you had won, then songs and appellations were sung in your favor. For now we have chiefs who are battle titles, but have not fought anything. And I hope that this generation, and when I see a lot of young people here, that you will determine to be a warrior. Fight for the people you lead. And, and defeat the enemies they fight 
and conquer the problems that perplex them. Then you can sit in your palanquin. Thank you.